1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Right, oh, uh, one of the downsides of, of being a pastor in a, in a very small country church is I don't get away much, um, especially on a Sunday. It's a bit hard to get away, which means I don't get to visit a lot of other churches in other places and, and fellowship with them very often. But On the odd occasion that I do get to visit another church, observing a church in prayer, that tells me a lot about that church. It tells me a lot about who they are and and what they're they're like with God. And and I've been to some churches and there's been nothing flash about them, nothing showy, might have been a, a basic, faithful, biblical message, nothing particularly polished about their music group. But, but when they prayed, it became obvious that they were a praying church. So we're studying First Timothy. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor, obviously by the name of Timothy. And today we're moving into what is really one of the key sections of the letter, which is all about having good order in the church. And in this section... Paul is going to be giving instructions on the different offices in the church and the different roles that are fulfilled in elders and deacons and bishops. He's going to talk about sound teaching and and how to keep the church on track. He's going to give teaching on widows and and how we are to care for the widows and and should a widow remarry, very practical things like this. And and how we care for those who are in need and how we provide for those who preach the gospel. And there's going to be a pretty controversial topic there where he's going to talk about how men and women have different roles within the church. He's going to cover all these topics and more as we go through this section of having good order in the church. But for Paul, when it comes to having good order in the church, it it is of first importance that we are a praying church. And the subject of our prayers is of first importance. Something that I've noticed is that as churches become more professional in their presentation, often something that, that loses out first is prayer. Uh, The the music and the singing becomes the centrepiece of worship and prayer becomes just a few little snippets of praise used as filler between songs. It was a young man who brought this to my attention. Uh, I'd noticed that that, prayer is dropping out 
of church services. But I, what I hadn't noticed was this. And uh, by the way, hello, Thomas, if you're listening. Um, this young man, Thomas, said to me that, that prayer has become a means of transitioning between songs. The few words we say as we transition from one song to the next. And I'd never thought about it like that. But he was exactly right. That's how prayer is being used in most churches. And those prayers are usually touch me prayers or fill me prayers or praise you prayers or bless us prayers or send out your word prayers. But in the Christian church, of first importance is praying for others. Why should that be of first importance? Because that's where God's heart is. God loves the others. God loves the unsaved. And so praying for others, it, it isn't simply a church tradition. It is expressing the very heart of God within our worship. Today is the second week that we're, that we're spending on this particular passage. On Good Friday, I sort of gutted it. I took, the, I took the highlight out of this passage to talk about on Good Friday because being Good Friday, we focused on how Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Why? Because God's desire is for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That, that is how much God loves everyone. So much so that Jesus gave his very life as a ransom for us, even while we were still sinners. And if God loves all people that much, and if Christ gave himself as a ransom for all people, we should pray for all people. This is a demonstration of the love that we have for them. In prayer, he says, first of all then. Now, that doesn't mean that he's just going to list off things and this just happens to be the first one on his list. When Paul says first of all, usually he's meaning this is of first importance. Right? So first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Right? When we pray in the church, we don't just pray for ourselves and we don't just pray for our church and we don't just pray for other churches either. We pray for all people. Supplications, that, that, that's making requests for specific needs. Prayers, that's bringing these people in view before God. Intercession is us appealing boldly to God on their behalf. Thanksgivings, that, that's a thankfulness to God. And, and not just thankfulness for what God has done, but being thankful for, for the ones for whom we pray. And then it gets even more specific. We're to pray for our kings and all who are in high positions. So in our land, we, we would be praying for the prime minister praying for his members of ministers of cabinet and, and the members of parliament. We would pray for the Queen and, and her Governor-General and the Senate. We would pray for our State Premier and her ministers and our members of parliament. On a lo local level, we would pray for our Mayor and our councillors. Feel free to pray for Councillor Scriven over here. We pray for all our leaders, for all who are in high positions. And this is a pretty timely reminder for us, isn't it? Um, 
if, if you haven't noticed that we, has anybody not noticed that we're coming up to a federal election? You'd have to be deaf and blind if you haven't noticed this by now. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably sick to death of our politicians and how they carry on, particularly when it's coming up to an election. Oh, those other ones, they're so horrible. Oh, they did a terrible job, but us, we're wonderful. You know, all you've got to do is look at our record. We've told them everything that they've done is wrong. And yep, we've proved it right. And, and while, meanwhile, the other side's saying, remember last time they were in power? Oh, dreadful people. And then you have a look. You know what it's like. It's awful just hearing them running each other down over and over and over again. We're fed up with our leaders. But we're being told here to pray for them. To pray for all who are in high position. We intercede for them. That means we appeal boldly to God on their behalf. Now, most of us are probably happy to do that because it's pretty obvious they need our prayers. Like, and quite often our prayers might be, fix them, Lord. They're so dreadful. They need fixing. Fix them, Lord. Um, they've got things so wrong. But we're not only to pray for them, we're to give God thanksgiving for them as well. Right? Now, when's the last time we did that? I've sort of thought over myself. I'm thinking, I actually can't remember when I've given thanks to God for our governments. I've, I've prayed for them. And yes, I've prayed that prayer. Fix them, Lord. Um, after all, it, it, it's pretty much an Australian pastime to run politicians down, not giving thanks for them. It goes a bit against the grain, doesn't it? So the Apostle Paul is telling us here to give thanksgiving to God for all people. And then he singles out the, our leaders. Yes, we are to pray for all people, including our leaders. And we are to give thanksgiving for all people, including our leaders. Now, some of you might jump up and down at this point and say, now, hang on a minute, Michael. Uh, we... We can only give thanks to God for good leaders. And given that I can't think of any, I don't need to give thanks to God for them. Um, or maybe perhaps the person, if the person that I vote for gets elected, I might give thanks to God for them for a few months until they do something to upset me and then the thanksgiving sort of peters out. But there's no proviso here. We're to pray for all people and give thanks to God for all people, even the leaders, or even especially the leaders, and there's no proviso whether they're good or whether they're bad. You see, whether our leaders are good or whether they're bad, they are leaders of a God-ordained national system of governance, right? God has determined that all people will have governance to keep law and order in society. And they provide the public services and law and order. And if we think that things are bad with the government that we have, how much worse would we be if we didn't have a governance? If, we, if there were no police, if there were no law courts, if there were no prisons, no sanitation, no medical services, no regulation at all, things would run amok. You see, in praying for our leaders, we've actually got an ulterior motive here. We benefit 
from having a society that, that is running, right? He says that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Civil peace, so in essence, what we're giving thanks to God for is civil peace, no matter who the leader is. Because civil peace provides the conditions under which godly living may flourish. Right? Do you want to digest that for a moment? Civil peace, no matter who the leader is, provides the conditions under which godly living may flourish. When the people of Israel were deported to Babylon, so let me just fill in a bit what was going on here. Israel had sinned against God. And the, the, people, the, the nation of Babylon, it was a superpower, and they were not godly, uh, very ungodly. And, but God chose to use them to punish the nation of Israel. And so they came in, gave Israel a jolly good flogging and conquered them. And then they took a large portion of the population away from Israel and back into Babylon. And the reason they did that, it was a means of control. And so if they take out a large portion of particularly the leaders and the educated people out of Israel, then they left with a smaller population that they could rule. And they were brought back into Babylon to serve them in Babylon. And now, you can imagine these were not happy campers. Imagine if we were conquered as a nation and they took you um, and exiled you to live amongst your enemy. You wouldn't be a happy camper, would you? And, and God's instruction to these exiles who are living in Babylon was don't fight against it. Don't fight against your captors, even though they're ungodly, but make the most of it. Now, into this situation, there were false prophets who were speaking to them and saying, oh, you've got to try your best to get out of there. In fact, God is going to take you out really soon, so don't get settled. These were the false prophets. And God spoke through his prophets and says, they're telling you lies. You're going to be here for 70 years. And through the prophet Jeremiah, he said to them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, this is a really appropriate message for us to hear today, just as it was a really appropriate message for the people that, that, that uh, Paul was writing to in Ephesus, where Timothy was. It was an ungodly land. You see, as God's people, we live in a foreign culture. We live in a godless culture. And our calling isn't to try and tear that God, godless culture down. Our calling is to be the kingdom of God in the midst of this godless culture. Our calling is to be the light of our Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel and living as God's righteous people, even while we're surrounded by evilness. Right? That, that is our calling. 
We are to be very different to those that we live amongst. And we are to pray for those that we live amongst. We are to seek the welfare of the land where, the God, where God has sent us because in the welfare of our land, we find our welfare. What's the aim of this? Godly living and dignified living. How do disciples of Jesus honour God in a land that does not know God? Godly living and dignified living. And if we live in a land that experiences civil peace, this is of our benefit. And this is something that we give thanks to God for. And one of the most evangelical things that we as Christians can do is pray. We pray for unbelievers, right? What's the best prayer that we can pray for someone? It's that they themselves would come to know Jesus. Now, we all have friends who are unbelievers. I hope you have friends who are unbelievers. If, if you don't have any friends who are unbelievers, I encourage you to quickly find some because otherwise, who are you going to share the gospel with? Uh, we need to have friends who are not believers. And um, next time, one of your friends who's not a believer tells you their troubles. By the way, if you're willing to listen, people will tell you their troubles. Um, if you're, next time they do tell you their troubles, after you've taken the time and listened to them, why don't you just say to them, I'd like to pray for you. And in my experience, most people will say, oh, yeah, that'd be nice, sure. And of course, they're thinking that you're going to do that when you go home and get in your jammies just before you go to bed, right? But if you launch straight in and pray for them there and then, be bold and pray for them. In my experience, 95 out of 100 times, they will be so thankful that somebody prayed for them. They will be so thankful that, that you took the time to listen to them and you engaged with them and you brought them into the presence of God and prayed for them. It is amazing how powerful prayer is in sharing the love of Jesus with another person. When they know that you love them enough and that you care for them enough, not that you, just that you would listen to them, but that you would pray for them and intercede for them before your God and give thanks for them even, that's when they will discover that God loves them too because you are God's representative on this earth. And of course God loves them. He loves them so much that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. There is one God. There is one mediator. There is no other way to God other than through Jesus Christ. And as I said before, if you missed the Good Friday message, you've missed the main part of this passage. Uh, have a listen to it. Go on the internet, download it. And so Paul says in verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Prayer 
in the church and praying for others in the church is essential. This, this is, it should be a key part of what we do. But prayer isn't something that we only do on a Sunday when we get together. We are to pray in every place. And when he says lifting holy hands, you know, we sort of tend to think, oh, this is the showiness of prayer. Um, I don't think that's what he means. Um, we, we certainly know that Jesus told us not to be showy in our prayers. He got up the Pharisees for that. Um, it's just supposed to be just quiet, nothing to draw attention to ourselves. But lifting up holy hands, the, the, the emphasis here is holy. All right? It's not about showiness. What it means is our hands have to be holy. We have to get ourselves right with God. And then we pray for someone else. It's like getting the speck out of our own eye before we try and take the log out of our brother's eye. There's no place for anger. There's no place for quarrelling in the church. It's about quiet living, peaceful living. It's about holiness. It's about dignified living. And it's about godliness. And from this position, we pray for all, especially our leaders. And shortly we're going to do that. We're going to take a time. We'll probably just, are we going to just get together? Sorry? Or I want to sort us out, sort us out, yep. Anyway, we're going to pray. And, um, but for now, I'm just going to have a really short prayer. Let's pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Help us to love others. Help us to love them as you love them. And show us how to pray for those who you love. By your Holy Spirit, help us as your people to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, knowing that this is good and it is pleasing in your sight, our God and our Saviour. Amen.